Welcome to season seven of Jesus Has Left the Building. We'll hear from guests all over the country who've been engaging in creative, bold, and fluid, outside the box, I mean, outside the church building practices that have inspired us. Our topic of discussion has emerged out of intersectional feminism, leaning into feminist and womanist practices born out of the stories of women, ancient and modern, and are practiced by and include all people as we ritualize relationship. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast, where ministers, womanists, feminists, activists, scholars, authors, and liturgy makers have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. In this third episode, Wear Your Grandmother's Hat or Have Grandchildren, we hear from Tim Burnett, founder and core curator of Way Collective. Tim is a dreamer, philosopher, and theologian. He has spent years reflecting on the evolving Christian faith and earned his doctorate from Claremont School of Theology, where he studied process, metaphysics, philosophy, and theology, and compassion. He currently curates Way Collective, which is a community of shared practices and values, where they believe that a way of living is at the heart of the Christian wisdom path. Whereas much of religion is complicit in systems of exclusion and oppression, they gather around practices and values that lead to life. And they see that these practices and values can be shared by people from diverse traditions, religious paths, and non-religious philosophies. To learn more about Way Collective, check out waycollective.org. Hello, Tim. We are so glad that you are with us today and telling your story and showing up to this space. Um, I am really excited to hear about what you're doing in the world. Um, Mason Menenga, is that how you say it? I think, you know, everybody pronounces it differently, but yeah, Menenga. Yeah, Mason, if you're listening out there, don't get mad at me. And you know how important names are to me. But he just came from a church in Minnesota um, where we have a colleague and he moved to Colorado Springs and he only lives like a mile from me, believe it or not, which is crazy. I know. And so we had coffee a couple of weeks ago and I was telling him about this work that I'm doing and actually how hard it is to do from inside the traditional institution and shift that and you know but here I am right and so I am giving it my all and then on the side having these really interesting conversations that I know feeds my soul and might feed other pastors out there that are not only um, doing this really innovative and visionary work but um, are doing it from within the more traditional institution and maybe give them just a bit of hope and maybe to glean some of those practices that may or may not work in their context. But anyway, the point is, is over coffee, I was telling him all about this and you were one of the names that came up. Mm. He's like, you have to talk to Tim and see what he does. And so just in case you were wondering how I found you and your faith community, um, this, that is how, that is how that all happened. And I have been spending some time looking at your website and your work. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So um, I would love to hear from you about your work in the world and what it means to you to lift up voices that have not been centered, um, 
that have like traditionally been centered in faith communities um, and what that looks like at Way Collective. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe even a little bit about like how that was created, how that was started, why it was created in that way, all of the things about Way Collective we want to hear. Sure. Well, thanks, Marta and Mandy, for having me. Uh, it's good to be with you. I'm grateful that Mason connected us. So I'm um, looking forward to the convo. But uh, yeah, so should I say a bit about what Way Collective even is first? Yes. So that people, okay. Yes. Yes, yes. So Way Collective is really, I mean, simply a community of shared practices and values rather than beliefs. Um, and for us, that's a way of life based community rather than a, you know, a bounded set of belief based community. I think in a lot of religious circles, what ends up being the binding agent for community is a shared set of beliefs, orthodox or otherwise, um, about the world, about their own tradition. Um, and we, I mean, we realize, I think, pretty early on that uh, beliefs are actually more of a spectrum than they are. Uh, the binding agent in any particular way. And so we, you know, we're asking questions of what could an alternative frame for rallying community look like um, that not only centered a path, like, a, like I said, a way of life, but also centered like a decolonized form of church kind of community um, as its model. So uh, gleaning from other friends and, and colleagues of mine in ministry who are doing more conversational models, um, you know, specifically a friend of mine, Bo Sanders, um, had started something very similar uh, at this place called The Loft in LA, and now he still do, does that up in Portland. Uh, but, um, but generally what we've tried to do is set the table for there to be um, a, a flipping of the, the model from a traditional church format that has a very modern sort of idea of the expert speaking down to the folks who are filed in the pews. And, you know, it's usually very patriarchal and, and you know, up, upholding sort of white norms. Um, and really what we wanted to do was say, what would a participatory church model look like where um, you know, we shared a meal and we had a conversation that that conversation was really the center of the gathering. And, and so for us, we've tried to build a gathering around this decolonized form of church where we do have somebody who shares and, and, you know, springboards the conversation, but that's what we call it is, uh, you know, whoever's sharing that night is beginning the conversation, not telling you what to believe and then sending you off on your way, but the community dialogue is what is central. And then at the end, our community actually shares back the collective wisdom. So the community has the last word um, in, in the gathering space and time. So um, so for us, yeah, we're trying, it's it's very dinner churchy, I guess, in its model, but it's a midweek gathering on Wednesday nights that we meet for. Uh, and yeah, I I mean, I sensed early on that um, that more traditional format was not going to, to work to, uh, serve the needs of emerging uh, folks and their spiritualities. Uh, and so um, what we've tried to do is to include as many voices as possible beginning the conversation, um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, so we have representatives from our community who represent diverse perspectives. My, um, uh, my colleague who, who's also on staff with me here is a, a queer woman. And so she uh, she and I probably do the majority of the the speaking, quote unquote, in the beginning of the conversation. But 
but there's there's some diversity there. Um, and uh, and then we also have other folks from our community who share from their perspectives. We have people from you know yogic traditions. We have other folks of color who share frequently in our in our community to try to as best as possible, given the fact that we do still have paid staff, um, reflect the diversity that's in our community to catalyze the conversations that we need to have. So, and I, I let me just say, that. I yeah. just want to say we're not perfect. We're learning still. You know, so oh, we don't absolutely. have this. It's a process, yet. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, the whole thing is a process. Like, I think that is actually part of um, process and way are a big, huge, mm. and which, you know, way collective, right? Like, it's mm -hmm. about the action and verb towards something yeah. that is ideal, possibly what you may name the beloved community as yeah. we do. But everything you just said, whether I don't know if you knew this, I don't know if it was at the forefront and you might have named it something else, but it's but it actually is the core tenets of intersectional feminism, all of those sure. criterias. Um, so I guess I'm curious, um, did you serve another church prior to this? Is this um, under umbrella of a, of a denomination or did you just go rogue and we're like, we're gonna do this thing? I know I love the word go rogue because it actually is an awesome thing to do. Um, but um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm curious about what that looks like for you and maybe even how you paired with your colleague and, um, and you know, yeah. I do yeah. this in the spirit of going rogue in this conversation right now in which I usually yeah. do. So and we're going to give Mandy a, a second, you know, a chance in a second to dive into her, her questions, but yeah, what does that sure. look like? Yeah. So I, did I see in your bio that you're a UCC minister yes. or at a church? Okay. Yes. So yes. I'm a, I'm a DOC minister. So okay. uh, this is a transformation prod project of what has historically been First Christian Church Santa Barbara. Um, and again, this, this format was the, the transformation of the historic church model into something new that could potentially serve uh, future generations. So uh, it's one of those, I mean, you know, our, our denominational identity statement is that we're a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. So I love the movement language because it doesn't um, mean that there's no organizational or institutional possibility for, for, for viability and sustainability, but it means that the heart of it is, is movement oriented. And I, I do think that um, for me, at least, yeah, I've, I've worked in other forms of Christianity in the past. My dad was like a fundamentalist pastor, you know, when I was growing up and, and I've, you know, been in Pentecostal circles and Presbyterian circles and, um, and I've sort of landed with the CCDOC as my, you know, family of faith now. But, but yeah, so this is a small branch of that larger movement for wholeness. And for us, we're we're always trying to to work with innovative models to see what might take to help folks, you know, come together around practices and values that are life giving and and create, um, you know, the common good in the world. So. Um, so yeah, I, I do. We do have a. We still have standing in the DOC, but we're we're obviously our our worship service, quote unquote, is the um, the Wednesday night gathering. So um, the disciples so, yeah. of Christ are actually doing really interesting stuff. We just had a conversation with um, Dr. Irie Session last week, who also has this new and innovative um, church plant called the Gathering a Womanist Church. 
I, I'm so curious about that, which this is not the moment to probably have that big conversation. <laughs> but while the disciples are really um, creating these interesting um, conversations um, and communities around conversations that mm -hmm. like I'm, yeah, I don't know, Mandy, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, it's super interesting. Like what, um, I don't know, you know, I don't want to like call out the UCC, our denomination, but why aren't we doing those things? Like, are we doing those things and we're just not aware of it? Or um, is the UCC just kind of falling behind on that? I don't know. We need to, we need to think about that a little bit. Um, so yeah, Tim, this is super interesting. Um, first of all, this, uh, I have, this question is, I think maybe you've answered it since you're saying that you have standing in the DOC. And I don't know if we said this out loud, but DOC, everybody is Disciples of Christ. Um, and UCC is United Church of Christ. So these are our denominational affiliations. Um, so are the are the majority of, of your people who come to, to these Wednesday nights, are they Christian? You said there are some people from um, yoga communities. Would you say it's pr predominantly Christian or, and I guess maybe um, side questions about, uh, you said, you know, you don't come, you don't come together around a set of beliefs, but if people are primarily Christian, like how does that play out? And, mm -hmm. and what's, what's the, what's the yeah. difference really? Yeah. That's great, great questions. Um, so a couple of uh, points there, I would say. The first one is that we set up our practices and values to be intentionally walking the line between Christianity and other forms of organizing one's life. So I sometimes call it Christiand with a D on the end because it's like, um, you can, so we have these six words that begin with the letter C. It's like connection, curiosity, creativity, consciousness, collaboration, and compassion, you know, that those are our practices that, so if you want to be a part of Way Collective, that's what you're kind of signing on to walk in those things. And if you're a Christian, you come from a Christian perspective, you can thoroughly Christianize connection and compassion and, you know, and if you are a secular humanist, you could be like, I'm about connection and compassion. Or if you're, you know, coming from another religion, religious tradition, you could also do that. So that that was kind of the goal was to allow, again, the breadth of actual lives that make up our world to be able to come together and say, yeah, we're about these things. And so there's that dynamic where we're sort of walking that line. But then the other side of it is, Yes, we do have mostly, I would say, what people coming from the Christian tradition. I don't know if everybody would identify as a practicing Christian now. A lot of post-Christian-y, post-evangelical type folks are around. But um, so the way we've named our relationship to the Christian uh, movements is around four S's. So it's like um, stories, symbols, sacraments, and sacred days. So just know that at Way Collective, you know, we, we call ourselves... And our vision is sort of like to be a contemplative community for love and liberation. But when you look at how we ground in love, grow in love and work for love in the world, one of the ways we name that is that we ground our lives in loving and liberating contemplative Christian practices. So we do say that, but but really I think the way that we actually live that out is that, that the Christian tradition is sort of a reference point for a lot of our conversations and the ethics of Jesus, I think, continues to ground our movement for liberation and justice. And, um, and so, and we, you know, we, we do Lent and 
Christmas and Easter and those kinds of things. And uh, we have Holy Week events and things, but, but we do hold it, I think, loosely. Um, but because it's so many of our, our sacred language, our sacred canopy that we were given, we, I, I think personally, it's been part of my heart, but also to help folks in our community try to come home to their sacred tradition in a way that's actually loving and liberating. And so those symbols and those stories and those things that we've known for years and years can actually open up to show us a surplus of meaning and a surplus of, of possibility instead of just one singular right or wrong way. And my hope is that people can be playful, I guess, with their own sacred heritage and, and go where they need to with it. Um, even leaving some things behind that are, are too colonizing or too, too destructive. So, right. I think in some ways you've answered even the next question around ritualizing relationships. Um, so much of what you just said in that space and the idea that ritualizing relationships are, you know, when we liberate one group of people, one group of marginalized people. And in this case, I'm, I'm diving into, um, women and womanists and feminists. When we mm -hmm. do that, we sort of liberate everybody. And it sounds like you really do it in that space. And I would love for you to talk about that a little bit, but I actually really want to hear really quick um, because you do this conversational model of preaching. You, mm -hmm. um, you know, you give seeds um, for the community to um, birth new ideas into that space. Um, but as a, you know, knowing me going through seminary and preaching classes and what my mentors taught me, which were mostly men, um, about yeah. what preaching models look like and the mm -hmm. expectation around the 2000 word sermon um, that I keep on talking about, because it's sort of what we were taught to do. How did you right. come to this space to do preaching in this way, particularly as a man? And then you need to talk about ritualizing relationship because I promised myself that um, I would ask that question. <laughs> That's a lot of things yeah, I put out It there. is, it is, it is. So, um, gosh, where to go with this? I know there's so many, so, so many ways to address this. I think, so I'm a fan of a theologian named Monica Coleman. Um, she's mm -hmm. a process womanist uh, thinker, yes. kind of more third wave womanism. Um, yes, and I have making way making a way out of no way exactly um okay. which is kind of punny on the conversation we're having about way right but but so as a process thinker um that was where, where kind of my grad work was as well um fundamentally you have to be non-coercive and you have to be open and i feel like a lot of the inherited preaching traditions that we learned perhaps in seminary and were taught to speak in that modality um, are traditions in which there is a capital T truth to express and it's your job usually as a man but you know depending on your denominational heritage it might it might include women to express that truth to the community and that that's what is God ordained for you to do you know but for us I think we know enough and you know our our theoretical sort of backing is post-structuralist enough, you know, to, to say that it's really about us opening up a space for becoming, opening up a conversation where there aren't coercive dynamics, but they're, they're poetic attempts to name a love that can ground us and bind us together. Um, and that my colleague and I, who, who both 
hold doctoral degrees. So it's not like we couldn't talk robustly about, you know, concepts or, 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 you know, speak in what we feel is our capital T truth or something, but, but, and we do come from that place, but the goal, I think, as a, a conversation leader is to open something up to allow for the interplay and the confluence of the diversity of hearts and, and minds and opinions that we have in our community to interact with one another and to deeply listen and to learn and to dialogue really, you know, to really have that dialectical environment. So that's, so that's the approach, right? It, for us, it's, it's not, it's not again, that preaching down and, and having the truth and sharing it. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, I almost think of it as like a, it's an opening up like a birthing, you know, and allowing for what's going to needs to happen in the space that night to happen, you know? Yes. Um, no, I mean, yeah. I, I totally hear that. What is, um, I think that women, um, and, or other people, um, in those marginalized communities, and I, I don't love using the word marginalized, but, um, mm -hmm. those people that those communities that haven't always been centered, um, in faith life, I should say, um, mm -hmm. I think that we, um, automatically recognize because of the way we've been socialized that we don't have capital T with the truth. Yeah. And so, you yeah. know, like we, we just already know that. And so yeah. I think, especially yep. me. And so coming to this ministry place and standing up in front of everybody, I'm like, I don't actually know all the things. And mm. I feel like, um, an imposter in some ways. And mm. so that is mm. where I have started to create space for that shared place because it gives me more life as a leader. Yeah. Um, so I especially love that you're on this call and having this conversation because I don't know if you actually had that feeling <laughs> as a white mm. male in our mm. world. Mm. Um, and so mm. I guess mm. that was where what I was most curious about is, yeah. is how did you and why like yeah yeah uh-huh that's i mean so that's probably, a, because a great you're question. probably an awesome yeah. traditional preacher well i don't i wouldn't i don't know i wouldn't say that i mean i i get i learned that you know pedagogy or whatever i know that but but to be honest what what opened me up as a cishet white guy who's six foot seven and very Whoa! A lot, you know, that a large, is whoa. A I'm five presence. two. I'm five you two don't over here. Seven on Zoom. Well, that's a good thing. I feel like, yeah. <sighs> but um, I I got diagnosed with cancer at 27 years old. Um, and so I was in seminary at the time, having a little bit of ideological deconstruction happening, and uh, had this existential moment of deep suffering, and uh, you know, in this body, you know, that I'm in, and so. Yeah, I mean, it was just a huge pivot really quickly. Like my theology shifted, my cosmology shifted, my social values shifted. Everything was just reoriented, you know. So, so what ended up happening actually was as those things shifted in me, I got diffused from the church that I had been working at for nine years for, you know, being open and affirming and and, ta and talking about that. And, uh, you know, there's a longer story there, but but so I had this experience of not marginalization, but but having to be pushed out of a system because of my difference that, again, was a result of my own deep experience of human suffering, you know. And so, yeah, in 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 that way, I felt like, oh, you know, there I what I saw, I think, was that there were dynamics to that space that were um 
sort of guardians or boundary keepers, right? Like, and once you cross that, you're out. Um, and so I knew that what was needed was a space where there were, you know, there was a loving frame and an invitation to keep going that it was non-coercive in its nature because that was what was missing from the systems that I grew up in, you know? And so how do we, how do we create a community model around that? How do we foster conversation around that? And we even have like on our tables each week, there's like, you know, Center for Courage and Renewal, Circle of Trust guidelines, speak using I statements, no fixing, no safe. You know, like literally we have to, on some way, like you were asking, ritualize mm. a different kind of relationality yes, that, yeah. that it has a, has a loving frame, right? We even have this thing with like three I statements on it. that's like identity, intention, and impact, right? And so again, we're, and meaning like, no one who comes through the door's identity can be questioned in terms of their dignity, their worth, their value. We're going to trust that everybody's bringing their best intentions to the conversation, uh, knowing that even though when we miss and when we say things that might harm somebody else, it's usually not on purpose. And then, we're, but we are going to measure the impact of what is said, you know, and, and try to hold a space to continue to grow in compassion and love. So so we, we set the table literally with these things and we you know, we're trying with with everything that we are to, uh, I guess, in some sense, create that environment to ritualize a certain kind of relationality that promotes healthy and and can integrate difference, um, you know, in, in ways yeah, that no, I don't that think was a part of the systems that I grew up in. Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for telling us that story. I think that like really packed the punch um, <laughs> for this conversation as personal stories often do. Um, mm -hmm. So I appreciate you um, yeah. going to that vulnerable space and sharing that story. And and then around the ritualizing relationships, those tools, I think, um, are vital to creating communities that um, are intentionally um, doing that relationality. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you have are, are those posted on your website because we would love we, we what, part of what we do is in this podcast is give people resources to be innovative and jump outside of the box and leave the building and so mm -hmm. do you have those resources that we can yeah you know what i would say is share? just just google um center for courage and renewal circle of trust guidelines so okay. parker palmer um is the, I think, part of that catalyzing that work. And that's where that comes from. But you could find those pretty easily. They might even be called circle of trust touchstones. If you look at that, um, the three eyes is something that we came up with, but the uh, intention and impact thing is something I think that's much more pervasive in, in terms of uh, nonviolent communication and some of those theories that, that help us relate better to one another. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, there's that. And, and I think honestly, as a, as a community presence or a leader, like what we're trying to embody is this reality that there's nothing off the table, you know, like, whereas in other communities, there are certain things that are off, off the table to even bring up or to talk about, or to be, to dissent in some way from the, the, the normative community opinion. And I think as, as space holders, Karen and myself, my, my co-curator and I, we, we try to just embody that, like, you're not going to surprise us with the question you're going to bring up, that we're going to all of a sudden have to be like, whoa, 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 you know, like, <laughs> and so it's that, it's sort of like, 
I think we're all learning into how to be these kinds of people in the world each week from just right, they're practicing. You're practicing the way of doing community over and over and over again, which yeah. I think then begins to shift a culture around how you do faith community um, in which you probably can do that easier. Um, and mm -hmm. perhaps, I don't know, um, in a community that doesn't already have these, um, this way of doing it that is centuries old, right? Right. And so um, I, I think that Mandy and I have slowly been trying to shift culture, um, but it is so hard to undo mm. for people that we're so used to. Yes. Um, doing yeah, church. like, Tim, are your people who who regularly attend you call them members even i mean like mm -hmm. in that language like is that yeah. um you know are are your members and your people um most of them coming from you know community like i mean this is the thing that i've been thinking as you've been talking and i i like i wish we had asked dr irie this last week too like is this work actually possible in a congregation that has this you know this history of history yeah um or or is this really a model that needs to be kind of ground up with people who um you know are kind of all on board with that like this yeah. is a really interesting and and I don't know I mean especially from your perspective as you know having been in both scenarios like what do you think mm -hmm. about that uh, I think your question is perfectly poised. You know, I think that's that's the question. Can traditionalist communities catch a vision for change that opens them up to new possibilities or not? I think for us, the historic church that was here um, had a harder time coming into the new thing, but they supported it, you know. So, uh, but, you know, and again, there's a longer story there, but, um, but generally most of the community who's here now was rallied around this new vision. Mm -hmm. So we had a couple events with outside speakers. And then we said at our last big one, Hey, next week, we're going to start meeting at a brewery locally, uh, and do this thing called dinner and dialogue. If anybody's interested. And we had like 50 people show up out of the blue who didn't have any historic connection to first Christian church, um, or the DOC, you know? And so, I, I do think in terms of organizational leadership, there, there has to be uh, at least a theoretical embrace of, of this movement orientation towards something new. Um, and, and if there's not, even in a small community of like 40 to 60 people, there can be a lot of resistance, you know, oh, big time, big time. Yeah. And um so the thing I always bring up is that there's this Picasso quote that says that there's two ways to honor tradition. Uh, you can wear your grandmother's hat or you can have grandchildren, right? And these are two, both are ways to honor tradition. They're, they're not mutually exclusive, right? One of them has the feeling of, let's kind of wear the same thing they did. Let's, let's put on the same liturgy let's put on the same let's sing the same songs let's mm -hmm. do the thing exactly like they did because that's what it means to follow in their footsteps and there's also this tradition um it, of releasing and unleashing something wild and new into the world that has to learn to talk its own way and find its own way as if if you know either of you are in families or in parental situations there there's a releasing 
that you have to do as the prior generation to give birth to this new, I mean, we just took our, we just dropped our daughter off at preschool for her first day ever at preschool this morning. You know, it's like, I, I, we're out of control as this little one wanders into the world, you know? And so um, helping congregations catch the theory of that, that what we need right now is to give birth rather than just spin our wheels trying to do the same thing that was meaningful for us. But the reality is, I think for church folks, that old model is where they encountered the sacred. It's where they found the holy. And that's the thing that's at the heart that they don't want to the future generations to lose. And so if we can help them catch a vision that giving birth to something is a way for the next generation to encounter that same sacred or holy dimension of life that you feel like you did, then it's a gift to give it away and to compost the old model and to think freshly about what what could be coming. Um, and but but it's harder to, as the new thing comes, to integrate the traditionalist type folks into it and help them participate and see that that sacred thing is still moving with this new flow, you know? It so, sure is. Yeah. Um, I have teenagers and young adults. So I love that metaphor. <laughs> I really do. I promise you. And yeah. I am so tired that I don't care if I ever have grandchildren. <laughs> 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 they have like literally yeah. put me over the edge. God bless their special hearts. Um, yeah, I hear you. Yes. Oh my gosh. But I love that metaphor so much. And I don't know, that actually might be the title of this episode. So if this idea of feminism and decolonialism and womanism, you know, all of these isms we've been talking about is mm -hmm. really rooted in the valuing of each person, mm. drawing collective strength from each other, which I think, mm. you know, is so important to the work that you're doing. Um, how do you imagine that happening organically in the place that you serve? You know, I think one of the mm. things we, we touched on a little bit is this idea of, um, you know, this not like top down, right? Um, I'm going to impart this information on you. How yeah. does that happen in a really holistic and organic and not kind of put upon way? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, could you say more about the information you're talking about? Like what, what information? Yeah. Um, like the, like, you know, the preaching from I've got the knowledge uh, and I'm, sure. you know, I'm giving it yeah. to you. Like, how well, do you like, draw that? How do you draw that out from people? How do they get comfortable hmm, sharing that yeah. with them? And yeah. And yeah, like, let me give you an example. Yeah. Like this Sunday, I'm, I is the first in my series of projects in my project. Mm. And, um, I am trying to figure out how to really do this um, feminist approach to worship with the criteria that I have collected and, you know, the, the conversations and experiences I've had. Um, but I just even said to Mandy, well, I'm still going to be the stinking leader. I don't know how to do this unless like, do I sit, it's in a circle. Yeah. So do yeah. I not, so do I sit at a different place in the sanctuary do, um, and right. they're still going to have this um, underlying expectation. And I do want to give them something to latch onto, but sure. how do you manage that? Or do you, or do you not? And, yeah. or is it a, is it again, a way, is it a process? Right. 
everything's a process. So, I mean, we could just say that as a blanket statement about the universe, you know, like for me, it's all process, but um, one way I would talk, I mean, I talk about a couple of ways, stylistically and culturally, I think we are trying to build a culture where what is normative is the integration of, of difference and to have dialogue across lines of difference. Um, so the role that I play as a leader in the community in maybe beginning a conversation um, is to uplift the, that possibility and to invite that plurality to come in the dialogue that we have each each night. So, I mean, I'll say things, like I'll say my own opinions about things. I Again, we come from a pretty contemplative angle on, on our faith tradition. So it's gonna be very love-centric, liberationist-centric. Um, and you guess what? Our community differs about what actions to take for liberation. You know what I mean? And so, but the goal is sort of like stylistically to see the, the role that I play. Um, I sometimes talk about the difference between authoritarian leadership and authorial leadership. Authoritarian leadership is coercive, top-down, upholds patriarchy, all that stuff. Authorial leadership calls something forth in the community. Mm -hmm. And it's not something, I'm not trying to get them to call forth the correct answer that I that I would agree with. I'm getting them, I'm trying to get our community to, to call forth their own wisdom. In fact, I feel like I say till I'm blue in the face almost every week, you got to trust your own sense of self, your own sense of wisdom and not mine. I'm not a mitigator to the sacred. I'm trying to help us unearth and uncover it in ourselves so that we can give voice to it and share it in a community um, of sacredness. So, so there's that thing where stylistically, I, I'm trying to be authorial in, po in, in terms of a poetics of helping folks call forth their own wisdom. And that's why we share that at the end and allow people to share their wisdom back as the final word so that I don't get the final word or Karen doesn't get the final word. But, and then again, culturally, we're trying to breed the kinds of folks who, who are attuned to that sense of themselves, you know? Um, and again, that's just different one of the ways we talk about it in terms of the model is that, you know, in a traditional Sunday morning worship service, it doesn't matter who's there. It just matters that people are there. You need butts in the seats because they're not going to change anything that's happening on the stage, right? Um, what we're saying is who shows up around the table literally changes the effect and flow of the night because they're changing the conversation and the wisdom that's spoken each week it's happening in real time, kind of like, you know, it, there's a playfulness to it there. So, so we want, yeah, that culturally, I think is what we want to happen, because we're trying to, you know, embrace the plurality of what it means to be a human community. But again, not perfectly. So we're, we're learning into this, and we've dealt with conflict, and we're, you know, it's, it's yeah. human, it's humans. So I love it so much. I, I do. I just think, I don't know. I, th I think that church needs to mm. somehow shift in that direction um, for the survival of the institution in some ways. Um, mm. You know, mm. as we know, there's a huge decline. And so, yeah. oh, but it's beautiful. And I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation. Mandy, do you have any last words? Sounds very dramatic. Um, I do not have any last words other than that. I'm grateful for this time 
with you, Tim, and learning more about your community. Thank you for sharing with us. Likewise, grateful for the invitation, friends. Um, it's been wonderful. Join us next week for episode four of season seven, Lean on Me with Dr. Tracy West. If you like what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, consider supporting the podcast at patreon.com backslash JHLTB. This podcast is made possible by the Rocky Mountain Conference of the United Church of Christ Tributary Fund. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and message us to learn how you can be part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world.